So let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to the show. The Bob and Sherry Show with Bob. Here's what I do. I talk to you on radio. And Sherry. And you are the most important women in broadcasting. <laughs> and now, broadcasting from the palatial Bob and Sherry studios, it's Bob and Sherry. Woo, it is the gateway to the weekend, and there's an exciting new product about to hit the store shelves in this world that I think you're going to find very intriguing. A brewery brewery in Germany that's been in business for like 500 years, the Neutzeller Cluster Brau, which is probably a terrible pronunciation. Anyway, this this place has been making beer for almost uh, 500 years. Wow. They are putting powdered beer on sale this year. And they said, they said, listen, first of all, we're cutting the weight of shipments by 90%, Hmm. which means think about it, less fuel used to ship the beer, lower carbon footprint, right? Mm -hmm. Think about it. It's powdered beer. No more heavy bottles, no more liquid. Mm -hmm. Um, They're calling it the driest beer. And they said, our beer is different from other attempts at powdered beer which I was unaware that anyone had made, <laughs> right? They said, our our powdered beer is better because when you add water to it, it's carbonated and it has alcohol. They said, you add water and you get a beer with the complete beer experience, alcohol, carbon dioxide, and a head of foam. What do you think? Hey, here's, here's, their, here's the slogan for them. We're the tang of beer. What do you think? I, you know, I kind of like it, actually. The tang of beer. I don't know, man. I don't like listen, the idea of it. No, How you're could- gonna. No, no, you are. Listen, listen. Here's why you're gonna like it. Mm. The head of the brewery said, "When you look at inflation, the energy crisis, glass shortages partially caused by the Russia-Ukraine war, it makes no sense to import glass bottles, fill them with German water, and then put them on ships to send them to other countries." That's crazy. I agree. So buy American beer. Okay, but in Germany, then they got to get the American beer over there. I, I, <laughs> so I, I'm not trying to shut down their business. I, I understand that. But the average person listening to this is saying, all right, that, that does sound right. That's an awful lot of traveling and a lot of weight on those big tanker ships. Let's just buy American beer um, if we're all so concerned about that. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess... Obviously, they've got something going. They, I, I can't believe that it's going to have a, a head on it. That's that's pretty amazing. I saw on, um, and I can't remember, it must have been The Food That Made Us or one of those shows, how yeah. Pop Rocks were invented. And when you think of it, if you add water to Pop Rocks, you get carbonation, you get foam. So, like, I can see how they get a head on it. I don't understand, though, yeah. if you... If you do like tang in water, you get some sort of, but, but it's got to have alcohol in it. How does the alcohol get in it if it's powdered? I, I don't know. They said that our powdered beer has alcohol. You know who, um, you know who would love this? Like, you know, my husband, when he goes camping, he'd love well, a cold beer true. at the end of a long hike, but you're not yeah. going to, you're not going to hike a six pack with you, but he no, could but maybe you know add his gonna... beer powder. It, it's going it's going to sell to people who are you know outdoors people. I could see that, and certain people who are just not big beer aficionados. But for a person who just loves a beer, the idea of uh, a cold draft being pulled by a bartender or being poured out of a glass at home—that's part of the ceremony of it. This this reduces it to uh, 
you know, the basics of chemistry. So. You know, you're right. And I can't even tell you how much I hate myself for even bringing this up. I'm going to go. I'm going to pause here so I can just go myself right now. We will never speak of powdered beer again. Yeah. Just buy American beer and buy pour American. it down your pie hole right. and then go in your pants, okay? I am right. so there, sorry there that go. I told you all about powdered beer. Yeah, the last the last thing about the pants, maybe not so much, but uh, I like your spirit, Sherry, very much. Right. Thank you for all coming over way. to all me. All the so. way. Yeah, okay. Good. Coming up, we've got morons in the news and the story of a junior high teacher who did something crazy to get a day off. It's Bob and Sherry. Sign up for our newsletter. We never spam you. Never did. Get Bob and Sherry exclusives. Just go to BobandSherry.com. You know how you get these headlines on your phone if you have a, a news update on your phone? And sometimes you just saw, see the headline and maybe the first paragraph or whatever it is. And then you move along because you're busy or whatever. I saw one the other day, and it's really kind of hard to believe. It certainly is not happening in my household, but it said a whopping 312 times a year, the average couple has an argument or or at least a fight, argues over something 312 times a year. And things like, what was it, stubble in the sink, taking too long to get ready, uh, were some of the things uh, flicking through TV channels in bed, not replace what was the other one? Not replacing an empty toilet roll. These these are the sort of little minor things that trigger an argument. And maybe it's not a full you know fledged fight, but there's a little tension in the house. For me, that's that seems high. I I can count on one hand the amount of serious arguments that I've had with my wife probably in the last two or three years. And uh, as far as the little things we blow it, I'll just say, oh, am I the only one that replaces the toilet paper roll on there? And and she'll say something like, looks like it, and then walk away. And that's the end of the argument, right? But 312, and the average fight lasts about 10 minutes, which 10 minutes is not a long time. But if you're arguing about something, it kind of is. What do you think? Um, yeah, to me, I think so. Cause we, you and I, we don't do well with, you know, tension. Confrontation. Yeah. 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 But 300, you said 351 arguments. 312. 312. 312. That's almost one, one a day for a year. Are you kidding? Yeah. But there's a difference between an argument that's like a real threat, an existential threat to your relationship and an argument over, I don't care that it's Taco Tuesday. I don't feel like eating tacos tonight. Like there's a difference, right? Some of them are going to yeah. be pretty petty and minor, right? What do yeah. you think? Yeah. You know, I think somebody that's having that many is that's, that's a couple where they both love to win arguments. I don't care about winning arguments. I just want peace in the house. I want peace in the Valley like Elvis. I just want peace in the Valley. So if I lose, lose something, it's not that big of a deal, but don't we all know people that just have to win the argument? Well, and there are some people that have such a controlling nature that they feel like, well, this time she's going to change or this time he's going to change. And they, they cannot accept that no one's going to change, including you. (laughs) It's just, it's what it is. (laughs) It's, it's so true. And that's why I am the king of the litter box. I j- cause she's not going to change, you know? So it's got to get done. Somebody has got to pick it up. You Is know, that for codependency? New list- I guess. For, I don't know. For new listeners, they're going, he's 
the self-proclaimed king of the litter box. I wonder. I am. Yeah. <laughs> What that I, I don't see any other uh, knights or uh, or uh, uh, damsels going over and changing it, so it must be done. Um, we don't have we don't have big knockdown drag out conflicts very often, but we have conflicts every single day because, and it's always over something stupid, and it's never a big fight or an argument, but like. So I went to um I went to uh book club a couple nights ago and I at like 5:30 in the afternoon I head for my car and I'm like bye I love you I'll see you later and he goes where are you going? I said tonight is book club remember I go to book club tonight. He goes oh I forgot. Okay well I'll see you and you know I won't be home too late. So I go to book club and it's great we had Indian food and it was fantastic. I come home and um I say to my husband what'd you have for dinner? He goes I didn't have any dinner because I was all alone. And I said, I said, well, that must be delightful because you're a man who doesn't live to eat. You eat to live. Did you just like, did you just oh, that's put good. some, did you just put a chunk of something in your mouth so you wouldn't die? Yeah. And he's like, a brick. I, was, yeah. uh, I was all alone. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Hey, I guess, uh, uh, I know we're, I, I guess I know that we're can of, of spam here. wasn't calling you, huh? But uh, at the book club, how much is actually... Talking about the book and how much is drinking wine and charcuterie board? Oh, we always talk about the book. Mm-hmm. Somebody always brings like a whole sheet of questions and discussion points. And we had a spirited conversation about them. Oh, okay. I promise. Now, there's a lot of wine and charcuterie boards, but there was a spirited conversation about the book. I promise you. All right. Very good. What was? Uh, we're out of time. What's the book, though? Quick. We just we did spare. We read spare last month and talked about it this week. The Harry okay. Prince Harry book, yeah, which Prince I have, Harry. as you know, a lot of mm-hmm. feelings about. All right, we got right. morons in the news straight ahead. Junior high teacher needed a day off. Uh oh, it's Bob and Sherry. Do it. Let's go, go. Bob and Sherry, idiot, with morons in the news. <laughs> if you're the getaway man, you got to pay attention. Police arrested in South Euclid, Ohio. A man suspected of robbing an Ohio grocery store, but his alleged getaway car was trapped in a car wash. According to the police, the manager of a giant Eagle grocery store spotted a man leaving with a shopping cart full of $498.41 in unpaid food and merchandise. She reported the incident to store security who saw the guy standing outside the, the grocery store looking for his potential getaway car. However, officials say the driver of the getaway car, while all of the shopping was being done, thought they'd go into a nearby car wash and get the pollen knocked off. And because there's so many people in car washes this time of the year, he was caught between three or four in the front and three or four in the back. And he couldn't move. So his buddy is out there with $500 worth of of groceries looking. Hey, dude, where are you? And they arrested him and he gave up his friend saying, yeah, my getaway car. I think that's it over there in the car wash. And they were both arrested. What would you you pay? No, seriously, cash money. What would you pay to have been there to see that? I know. I know. (laughs) Middle school, junior high, whatever you call it. 
It is a tough period in all of our lives. Oh, yeah. Seventh grade, eighth grade. Mm, God, it's a tough time. And it's got to be tough to be a middle school teacher. Can we not all have some compassion for how hard it is to be a middle school teacher? Without a doubt. I don't know how they do it. Let's go to Hazel Park, Michigan, where 40-year-old social studies teacher Paul Jacobs planted a bomb threat so that he could get a day off. Oh, no. Yeah. Wow, that's serious stuff. You can do some time for that. What's oh, the detail he's on that? Been, he's been arrested and charged mm. with making an intentional threat of an act of mm-hmm. violence against yeah. the school, employees, and students. And if he's found guilty, it's a misdemeanor, not a felony. But if he's found guilty, he's facing as much as a full year in prison. It wow. all began... It all began in early February when a school employee found a note in Paul Jacobs' classroom. Dozens of cops descended on Hazel Park Junior High, bringing 10 bomb-sniffing, highly trained canine dogs to search for explosives. And they didn't find any. But law enforcement had pretty good radar, and they began to suspect that Mr. Jacobs, the social studies teacher, might have something to do with it. So they launched an investigation, and according to the Detroit newspaper, um, Mr. Jacobs had been aware of the note but had failed to report seeing it. And then the investigation took a funny turn. Not only had Mr. Jacobs seen the note, and they said, although we don't have any evidence one way or the other, if he wrote it, law enforcement said he was seen placing it on the desk by a door between classes when no students were around. He planted the note allegedly in hopes of getting a day off. No one was harmed, but the children were scared because threats that happen in schools are traumatizing for kids. Right. And right. one police official said, you never get numb to that. Um, and so everybody, it ended well. You know, it was a, it was not real. It was a yeah. hoax. Nobody I saw I saw the uh, I saw the interview with Mr. Jacobs. He says, "Yeah, I'm getting a year in jail, but you know what? That's better than having to deal with these middle schoolers. I'm looking forward to it." It you almost think he would be, right? <laughs> I couldn't so, do that. I just couldn't the, do that. I have such admiration if you're driving in to teach middle schoolers, God bless you. Here's the problem is that you have a lot of copycats. So, um, fake threats against schools are really common in Michigan right now. Right before Mr. Jacobs, the social studies teacher, faked his bomb scare, almost six schools across the state got threatening phone calls that were also later revealed to be fake. You you just can't. I mean, we don't live in a time where you can do that. So they bonded him out, and now he's looking at potentially a year in prison, which you're right, will be a day off from teaching middle school. And that, that is Morons in the News. Coming up... Coming up, we're going to throw it way back for Throwback Thursday. Happy Gateway to the Weekend with comedian Jeff Foxworthy and an exciting round of true crime time. A pervert tries to blame the aliens for what he's up to. Bob and Sherry box office and more. This is Bob and Sherry. The new and improved Bob and Sherry website. Just go to BobandSherry.com. Okay, this is Real Black Mirror, but tell me Uh if you would be interested in an app that would allow you to relive a memory in 3D over and over again. Here's how it works. The developer is the company Wist. 
The app is called Immersive Memories, and with it, you film a video of some everyday moment. You playing with your baby or your puppy, you and your person having a picnic or glass of wine together. The app uses the sensors that are baked into newer smartphones to capture all of the information you need to turn the video into a 3D. Then you can revisit that whole moment in three dimensions inside a VR headset. Go back in time and you relive that memory, that video, but this time in a fully immersive way as I though it's happening cool. to you again. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to you know, really be aware that this seems to be a, a, a moment that needs to be captured, I guess. Um, but yeah, that'd be very cool. I mean, if, if, you were at, if you were at a ball game and uh, your favorite player was about to retire or something like that, and you, you know this is the last at-bat and you want to relive that, yeah, I could see that. Or as they're saying, with, uh, with a child, uh, certainly uh, first, first time a baby's uh, walking or one of the first times, that would be a sweet thing to be able to do again and again. Yeah. If you're, like a, if you're a Harry Potter fan, remember mm-hmm. the scene where Harry uses the pensive It's this magical bowl that allows you to go inside a memory. He goes inside Albus Dumbledore's memory. Mm -hmm. Um, This is kind of like that. It's as close to a real pensive as we can get. So it's new technology combined with old technology, and it all works via your smartphone. What a time to be alive. I'll tell you what. Yeah, that's right. So it's a little bit spooky. Um, you know, and it's a little bit Black Mirror, a little bit dystopian, but it's also pretty cool. You can get on the wait list to grab the app on WIST's website, which is WIST, W-I-S-T Labs.com. And you can join the wait list for when they release this out of beta to the public. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about Harry and Megan getting evicted. And we've got a classic Jeff Foxworthy for you, and everyone needs a laugh. It's Bob and Sherry. Instant access to the podcast, podcast, and fun side. Just download the free Bob and Sherry app. Listen, I don't, I don't understand the British royal family, and I don't understand their grace and favor homes and their seventy-five years. I don't understand anything about their real estate, but I think that for King Charles. And every time I say that, all my brain does is fill up with images of spaniels. But I think that for King, I'm just being honest, because I'm a nitwit, but I think that for King Charles to evict Harry and Meghan from Frogmore Cottage, which was a gift to them by the late Queen, which they paid $3.2 million of their money to renovate, I think bouncing them and giving it to Prince Andrew, his royal perversion, is a really really ugly and stupid move thoughts i didn't know i didn't know that was happening just so happened. it just happened it's just happening yeah so they've been they've been a bit boy if i dropped three and a half i don't care how rich i was three and a half million dollars on renovations and have to go to my wife and say my brother is throwing us out Woo-hoo, son man that seems harsh especially when you're giving it to andrew who is now of bottom he's below the bottom of the barrel as far as the British public is concerned and and a bottom I think too um so here's the deal and all of this of course is unconfirmed because the royals do not explain nor do they complain but 
This was Harry and Meghan's home in the UK. And if Charles bounces them and gives it to Andrew, Harry and Meghan really cannot come back to even visit. They won't have anywhere to stay. And because of the security concerns, they can't go to the courtyard by Marriott near Hyde Park. They, I mean, I think we all know that that, that can't happen. And if you want to make, like I've read Prince Harry's book and the, if you actually read Prince Harry's book, not the press coverage of Prince Harry's book, if you actually read mm-hmm. the book, you're going you're gonna to come away with a pit in your stomach of sorrow for the life that this man has led. And before you go, oh yeah, but he's a prince and he lives in castles. He never had a home as a child. He bounced from boarding school to friends of his father's in Africa to the Queen's place in Scotland. Um, Yeah, it was a privileged upbringing, but it was cold and many ways loveless. And now this, here's what I think this looks like. If you evict Harry and Meghan, I think what you're basically saying to the world is every word in that book is true. And we are petty and cold and vengeful. I think that it Uh, is the low road. I think it is the low road. It looks like a reaction yeah, a spiteful reaction. You know, and, I think, and what you're I think doing is the, you're guaranteeing your son can never come home even to visit. I think part of this spite is the fact that they embrace Southern California so much and the whole American thing. You know, they're going on American TV shows with Oprah. They're uh, being interviewed by international journalists. They're on 60 Minutes. They're living in, uh, they're living in Southern California. That is about as far away from the royal family as you can get. And I think what he did was just to say, oh, you want to do that? Oh, you want to be a Yank? Okay, we'll get a load of this. I I think it's petty also. My God, they have so many of those houses. It's, It's petty and spiteful and vengeful and slams the door on any hope of a reunion. And again, if, you know, all the press reports are Harry aired the dirty laundry. Have you read the book? Because that's not what the book is, really, honestly. And I, and you know, of course, I liked, I loved Princess Diana, and you know, always had a warm place in my heart, you know, for Harry and William, little motherless children, and all that. The book is not, um, the book is not what you're being told that it is. The story is not what you're being told that it is. Most of what you're being fed about that book is being driven by a furious and enraged British tabloid press. The book is not that. And so So, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, you're going to kick them out of the home that they paid for. And you're going to give it to Prince freaking Andrew, that sausage-fingered, (laughs) ham-headed. Let me comment on that. You know what this says then? This says that they've taken stock of where the most harm to the uh, royal, royal family has uh, occurred in the last two years. And they have decided that Harry and Meghan have caused them more problems than even Andrew has. Um, I think it's, yeah. I don't, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just, I'm just yeah. saying, uh, because Andrew is very low. He has to be very low profile. He's a scumbag. You know, he's, he's a very scumbag. Low. He's very low. So, yeah, he's caused problems. Everybody kind of knows or, or there's conjecture as to what he has done. 
Uh, he, he's, she's, he's, you know, stonewalled it. It's not going to go to jail and all of that. But it's kind of in the back burner. The hairy thing with that picture on the cover of the book and 60 Minutes and all of the press coverage and all of the Southern California stuff. I think that in the in the mind of the British public who who do not study this stuff, even though, you know, they know more about it than we do because it's in their face every day. But, you know, the majority of people over there will not have read the book. And it and it's just like, oh, well, you know, who do they think they are? Blah, blah, blah. That's that's the read from the castle from Buckingham Palace. I, I truly do not believe in my heart that there's any happily ever after for Harry and Meghan. The hatred directed at her is so intense. Um, this is a terrible move. And by the way, I think this makes King Charles look weak, not strong. I agree with you on petty. that. Petty. Yeah. Very weak. Petty. Weak and petty and snivelly and spiteful and cold. And you're giving it to Prince freaking Andrew. Mm. Coming up, we're going to throw it way back because it is Throwback Thursday with a classic Jeff Foxworthy for Everyone Needs a Laugh. Bob and Sherry want to whisk you and your bestie off for a Florida getaway. It could be a friend from grade school, high school, or even a sibling or mom or dad. You and your bestie could stay three nights at the Don Cesar, a luxury hotel located in St. Pete Beach. Known as the legendary Pink Palace, this beachfront resort is situated on the sugary white sands of the Gulf of Mexico and offers ocean views from every room. The price also includes admission to Clearwater Marine Aquarium, Florida's Marine Life Rescue Center, admission to the Dolly Museum to explore an unparalleled collection of art and digital experiences, and a one-of-a-kind upscale dining experience aboard Yacht Starship Cruises, America's first three-diamond-rated dining yacht, plus round-trip flights and a rental car. To enter, just go to bobandsherry.com, hit the contest tab, and submit a picture of you and your bestie. Because right now, Florida is exactly where you need to be. Get away to Florida from Visit Florida and Bob and Sherry. Leave us a talk back. Talk back with the free Bob and Sherry app. It is time now, ladies and gentlemen, for Bob and Sherry News, where we keep you up to date on what's going on because we're on your side. Sherry, <laughs> what is our first? Well, don't this laugh. is a... Don't laugh. We're you know, serious about this. We're very much on your side. We're, we're so uh, on your side. What's the first story? Yeah. Um, this first one is about TikTok. They announced um, earlier this week that they're rolling out a screen time limit for people under the age of 18. They're going to lock you into just 60 minutes a day. It's an automatic setting activation. And once you hit your 60 minutes, you'll have to enter a passcode to keep going. Parents and adults and guardians will have access to TikTok's family pairing, which means they can customize that. So you could allow your kids to have maybe more TikTok on the weekends and hold them to an hour of TikTok on school days. Um, and of course, all of this will be automatic. So, And there are a couple of other new features. Um, teenagers between the ages of 13 and 15 will automatically have their accounts set to private. So that'll be automatic. Now, of course, everything I'm telling you, you can work around it. There, none of this is like written in stone. If you know how, you can work around all of these things. Here's can, another can one. I just, can I just say that um, kids, and I, I'm talking about any anybody between any ten and ten and eighteen, will figure out how to get around that. Will find the words, the codes, the passwords, and and they'll they can dodge it. 
But it's a very, a, it's a nice effort by the Chinese. It's a nice effort. There's a million workarounds for all of these, but you know, you got it. So here's what TikTok is offering. They're also making direct messaging only available to users over the age of 16, which means your 11 year old is no longer getting DMs from freaky uh, strangers on the internet on TikTok. They're um, baking in a screen time dashboard. So you'll see how much time you're spending on TikTok. That's going to cause a lot of people to have a nervous breakdown because I know fully grown adults who don't realize how many hours a day they spend on TikTok. So do I. So do you. <laughs> um, there's also going to be another setting that if you're a parent, you'll be able to mute notifications from the app for your kids. So for kids ages 13, 14, 15, you'll be able to lock them out from getting any TikTok notifications from 9 p.m. on. Um, and a couple of other, couple of other little features that they've they've built in, and they worked with. In case you're wondering, like, how did TikTok make all these decisions? They partnered with the Digital Wellness Lab at Boston Children's Hospital to figure out what what was um, what were the limits for kids of various ages. And so that's how they didn't just do this randomly. You know, to their credit even though it's a giant data harvesting operation by the Chinese government masquerading as entertainment. To their credit, they did work with some experts at Boston's Children's Hospital. They're also rolling out the TikTok sleep reminder, which um, reminds you it's time to log off and go to bed. That will be swiped off the screen in a microsecond. <laughs> Just like but, that. But it's there. Just like that. Yeah. Now, now I have this to is, say This is PR. This is mostly PR. Let me let me just tell you one more thing for parents that are just like, oh, God, how many things do I have to learn? Oh, I'm so tired. Please don't tell me one more thing. According to the National Center for Sexual Exploitation, TikTok is a primo hunting ground for predators. So, really? yes. So, listen, sexual predators looking to groom and abuse and harm children. So, hmm. um, if you have kids and they have phones and you have TikTok... I don't know how well you can lock your kids out using these features because I know mine would. Mine, my children would stay up all night figuring a way around any security protocols I baked in, but it's worth a try, right? Yeah, I guess so. I, I just, uh, it's funny. I'm not on TikTok, but Mary is and she loves it. She just thinks it's, there's so many creative people in the world. And she'll, she'll call me over once in a while and she finds something that's kind of funny. Sometimes I think it's funny, sometimes not, I don't think it's funny. But if I scroll a little bit, I don't see any kids. What, what I see are 20-something-year-old people who are uh, standing around in bikinis being questioned by some creepy guy about something in their sex life or hey, guys jumping off of roofs in the pools, that sort of thing. That's because what you're seeing is your wife's TikTok. Mm -hmm. What your wife gets on TikTok is not what everybody is getting on TikTok. Oh, I know. Yeah. So you're you're not seeing the kids because your wife isn't really hanging with the, the kids. Got it. But I promise you, it's all out there. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Um, it's a good step, but uh, as you say, I as I say, it's mostly PR. It's Bob and Sherry. Instant access to the podcast, podcast, fun size, and more with the free Bob and Sherry app. It is time for Everyone Needs a Laugh, and because it's Throwback Thursday, we thought y'all might like a little bit of Jeff Foxworthy. 
I was reading this thing the other day, and it was talking about people being part of the Oreo generation, and, and what it was saying was people that waited until their mid-30s to have kids, like my wife and I. See, because my parents got married when they were like 20. I was born nine months to the day after my parents were married. <laughs> nine months to the day, that must have been a ceremony. I do. Could you turn around just one minute to a reverend night? <laughs> But it was saying people that waited until their mid-30s that said you're kind of an Oreo because you're raising your children and you're also raising your parents who in their elderly age are kind of reverting back to childhood. And I told my wife, I said, you know what this means? It means we've got two that are out of diapers and two that are going into them. <laughs> and as bad as it was with the little ones, I can't imagine it's going to be any more fun with the big ones. I just don't want to be sitting there watching football with my father-in-law going. <laughs> and... Don't you lie to me, Ed. <laughs> but there are similarities between the kids and the seniors. I mean, they both have their own special menu at restaurants. You've got to worry about both of them with drugs because it's not just the teenagers. Seniors get a hold of some good stuff. The last time we were at my in-laws, I made the comment that my sinuses were kind of stopped up, and my mother-in-law said, do you want to stop the sniffles or not feel your head? <laughs> she opens up her purse and pulls out this little bag, it looks like it's full of Skittles, and grabs this tiny green pill, and she said, say hello to my little friend. up two days later laying in the backyard talking to Elvis. <laughs> She's at the door going, get up, you baby. I take four of those and go to the grocery store. <laughs> you know, and the kids don't listen to you and the seniors can't hear you. My mother-in-law has a hearing aid that she only wears about half the time, and you can always tell when she's not wearing it because she talks louder than any human being on the planet. Four or five months ago, we're in line at the movie theater one night, and they're with us, and she says to me, Don't look now, but the man behind us is cross-eyed as a bat. <laughs> and one, you're embarrassed to death. And two, when somebody says something like that, you gotta look. <laughs> I turn around and this guy is glaring at me. Well, he may not have been glaring at me, but he was glaring at somebody. This guy was mad. You know, and the kids wear their pants falling off their butts and the seniors wear them up to their armpit. My father-in-law got his chest hair caught in his zipper. And I look at all this, and what makes me scared is I know I'm next in line. And let me tell you, I can tell I'm getting older. A lot of ways I can tell. One, about a year ago, somebody broke into my truck, and I keep a case in there with like 24 CDs in it. They stole three of them. Well, thank God the Ann Murray's still here. Where's the best of bread? Where's the best of bread? <laughs> I have finally broke down and got a recliner. I used to always make fun of my dad and his recliner. I have a recliner now, and I love it. 
I used to travel the world at a moment's notice. I get in that recliner, I'm not getting out of that thing. I just wait on people to walk through the house. Hey, do me a favor and make me a sandwich. The thing I smell smoke, is the house on fire? Hey, if you see flames, there's an extinguisher under the sink in the kitchen there. But the worst one, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and a few of her friends were, were making jokes and giggling about this product called Astroglide. Uh, it's, it's this, it's apparently, it, it is this lubricant uh, that they sell in the drugstore right next to the condominiums. And, uh, but it's supposed to be really good stuff. I mean, apparently you're able to put it on a Cadillac and get it in a doghouse. my first thought was, I bet I can put that on the poles the bird feeders are on and keep the squirrels off of them. <laughs> the squirrels are driving me crazy. If you come by my house at five o'clock in the morning, you will see me on the back porch in my underwear with night vision goggles holding a BB gun waiting on the squirrels. Just embarrasses my kids to death which is the way I believe life is supposed to work. The parents are supposed to embarrass the kids and the kids are supposed to embarrass the parents. His stuff is still funny, it really is. He's just it, such a great guy. There is nobody like him. Jeff Foxworthy, we're gonna post this set up at B-O-B-A-N-D-S-H-E-R-I.com. This is Bob and Sherry. It's the stuff we wouldn't, couldn't, shouldn't do on the regular show. The Oddcast, Oddcast on the free Bob and Sherry app. No one is going to like what I'm about to tell them, but I need, I need the people of Earth to straighten up and act right. Those of you who don't wear shoes in your house are about to feel very smug. Oh, and here you we deserve, go. Here we go. You deserve to feel smug. Those of you who do not allow shoes in your homes, you are the real heroes. You're the real champions. Go ahead. Round of applause for each and every one of you. So this is a spe- what I'm about to tell you is especially true in really big cities. New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Miami, Seattle, Dallas. There's a very strong possibility that if you live in Ogden, Utah, and you're listening right now, this does not apply to you. But if you live in a big city, it does. Not only are the streets covered in animal excrement, which is driving increases in E. coli and hepatitis and heart inflammation in human beings. Folks, increasingly, our streets are covered in human excrement. Now, I know we're going through some hard times and modern life is extremely stressful and challenging. But y'all need to find a restroom and not just (laughs) drop and deliver. Okay? Do not release the brown bomber Walk an extra block and find you a Burger King or something. Mm -hmm. Mm. It is a major public health crisis. Mm. I'm begging you to pick up after your dog. I I have to. But what I'm really begging you Mm -hmm. is to not drop a load. At a grocery store near where I live about a Mm. month ago. One of our listeners was standing waiting to pay for groceries. 
when a man in front of her in line dropped and delivered right there in the checkout that, line. That had, can I just interrupt, though, for a second? The discount this has got store. to be This has got to be mental illness. This, you know, especially we have so many mentally ill people in streets in, uh, in big cities like San Francisco. It has got to be that. I can't believe that sane Americans are doing things like this. The, the increase makes you wonder where it's coming from. I know we're going through some hard times as a species, but people. Yeah. I, uh, find a restroom and don't wear your shoes in your house. Right, That's all I got. Right. And, and find a way <laughs> to help the mentally ill. That's got to be part of it. I, I don't go around barefoot in my house, but I have uh, what I call my house shoes. I don't wear them out. I do not wear them to the supermarket, the gas station, or anywhere else. And that's the best that I can do, and I think it's enough. And I don't live in an area that's heavily urbanized uh, anymore. So, you know, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. The streets, I love New York City. Streets in New York are filthy. They are. Folks, don't wear shoes in your house. Wash your hands and act right. It's Bob and Sherry. Use the Talk Back feature feature. on the free Bob and Sherry app and leave us a message. It's Talk Back time. You can call us old school on the phone at 844-52-SHERI. Or if you have our free app and it's free in the Apple Store and Google Play, you can download that and use it to do so many things. Listen to the show, listen to all of our podcasts, including our new one, True Weird Stuff. You can enter contests and you can tap on the little microphone in the bottom center of the screen and talk and the app will do the rest. Sure. You did a story that you had read that policemen would put their fingerprint on the taillight of a car. Like, like back in the olden days before dashboard and body cams. Yeah. I read that they would tap your taillights when they walked up to get your license so that if anything crazy happened, they left a fingerprint proof that they'd stopped you. Right. Wasn't that the gist of the article? Yeah, that was. Yeah. Right. I remember that. Hey, Bob and Sherry, it's Allie in Sonoma County. We miss you out here, but glad I can listen to you on um, podcast. Anyway, I was just listening to your show from earlier today about why cops touch the taillights of a car. And I don't believe that to be true, having been an officer for 19 years. But... You know, long before body cams and dash cams, cops have had radios. That's how the dispatchers are able to tell them where to go. And when cops are doing a traffic stop, it's just like real estate. Location, location, location. If you get nothing out other than where you are, that is the most important thing. But... The other thing that they do do is to push down on the trunk lid of a car, and that is just to lock the trunk just in case you are pulling over someone who maybe has just committed a burglary, a bank robbery, etc., and you don't want the trunk popping open on you and having people in the back uh, unload their guns on you, you push the trunk down to lock in whoever Hmm. might be in there. All right. Love you guys. Have a great day and a great weekend. Interesting. Thank you. I'm going to remember the story, though, of uh, what you brought up with the thumbprint. It it still sounds like it would be a cool thing to do, even though she had not heard of it before. 
I don't know. I didn't. I didn't make it up. I mean, it was in some article about law enforcement. Right. But right, that business right. about the trunk, about people that makes maybe sense. Interesting. being in the trunk ready to jump out at you. Yeah, what? that makes total sense. Wow. Uh, now we have this one about this woman's Apple Watch. So I was listening to your podcast from a little ways back about your phone always stressing you out with this closing your rings, closing your rings. You know what really pisses me off? Is when my phone, my watch, my Apple Watch will tell me to stand. I'm a grown ass adult. I know when to stand. I'll stand when I need to stand. Yes, Queen. Yes. <laughs> it's so true. Apple wants to raise us. Even when we're grown, Apple wants to raise us, admonish guys, us when we're not moving enough. You guys, the other night I put, took the dog out and she gave him his nighttime diaper and his pawpaw medicine, brushed my teeth, walked into my bedroom, sat down on the bed, took off my fitness tracker, which had 16,497 steps on it, took Whoa. my phone out, took my phone out of my pocket where it said it was my Apple move ring. You did not close your ring today. Let's do, you didn't move enough. Let's do better tomorrow. And I actually said to my phone, yeah, well, you can right off <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I have this this one uh, that's addressed to Bob Bob I have a question for you I was just listening to you talk about Sweet Caroline music uh, I played after Red Sox games every time you talk about the Red Sox you talk about a Red Sox game I don't understand this is this a New England thing is this how it's pronounced is this how it's said in new england uh there's an x on the end so i'm always used to red socks it's not singular it's not like a sock you wear nope thanks um i apologize for um not making it sound uh like the x is there um it is one of many mistakes that i probably made that day and if i had a red sock I would hang myself with it right now because I don't know what to say. Now I, I feel like I'm going to be might, so. Might you be overreacting to the question by suggesting that you should hang yourself with a sock? I'm well, just putting it out there. Now I'm afraid to say Red Sox. You know, they, they are the Red Sox. It's a team. It's not a Red Sox. I understand. I think I you're taking even, that. I don't even remember doing that. To you be you call it a red. Even. You call it a red. The, the Red Sox games. So you think that the, the thing is, is you don't you don't want to do two plurals because in your head there's something grammatically incorrect about that. That's probably what it is. I'm yeah. sure yes. that's what it is. Right. With my so extensive uh, studies yeah. in uh, English literature and uh, sentence composition, that's probably. But what excuse was you. You know, excuse you for trying to have proper grammar. You're trying to do the right thing. Yeah. It's just yeah. one more way, Bob. You can't do anything right. I can't do Everything anything you right. Do you wrong. can't go out. Nobody appreciates you. Oh, that's right. Watch you the game You suffer and suffer oh, and suffer. Right. That's right. That's right. Suffer. Hang on. Love the Hang Red on. Sox. I'm gonna see. Hope they have a good year. There you go. I'm going to... I'm going to see if, you know, my husband has a GoFundMe because I make him eat dinner every night and no man should live in that hell. Let me see if I can add you to it for your correct grammar, okay? Please do. And the yeah, two of thank you. you. Yeah, the yeah. two of you can join together. It's Bob and Sherry. <laughs> 
the Fun Size Podcast, a shareable taste of the show at our website or the free, free Bob and Cherry app. So this rumor started about two weeks ago, I guess. Uh, the Beatles' Sir Paul McCartney reportedly is recording parts for an upcoming Rolling Stones album. And when people heard about that, they said, I wonder if Sir Ringo Starr is going to play drums because, of course, the Rolling Stones just lost just lost uh, Charlie Watts, their longtime drummer, one of the greatest drummers of all time in rock. And, uh, you know, uh, Rolling Stones also do not have their original bassist, Bill Wyman, who decided to retire years ago. So you could put McCartney on bass, you could put Ringo on drums, and you've got the Rolling Beatles. Um, I don't see that happening for a variety of reasons, but wouldn't it be interesting if they did both record an album and then said, let's take this out on the road, people can see two of the Beatles and uh, three of the rolling original, well, no, two of the original Rolling Stones, Mick and Keith, and of course, Ron came on later. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because I just can't see Paul McCartney playing bass while Mick Jagger is walking down the, um, down the aisle there doing his thing down the runway. I just don't see that happening. But wouldn't it be interesting to hear Paul McCartney, who has this amazing harmony voice, singing high harmony to Mick Jagger's voice? That is something I, I don't think has ever been recorded before. Are you saying that you can't picture Jagger sharing the stage that way? Because I feel like Paul would. I, I think up to a certain point, but I mean, you know, Jagger, I mean, he's out front, he's the front man and he works, the, he works that uh, runway real hard. Are you telling me that Paul McCartney is going to just sit back? I don't know. McCartney is, you know, can fill a stadium by himself and he's the main attraction. And obviously the Rolling Stones can fill um, a stadium with no help, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be interesting to see those people performed together. I think the tickets would go for starting at $1,000 a seat. The, the only reason that I feel like it would work is because Paul takes so much pleasure in just performing the music. And he's, you know, no one has ever seen Paul McCartney, you know, in a pair of tight football pants doing a chicken strut across a stage. I mean, he doesn't have, he's not that same kind of you know, kind of extreme rock and roll frontman that Jagger is. I feel like no, they he's could, not. They could, but do he's. It. I do. He's a big presence. He's a big presence. He's he's still as big. My grandson can sing the lyrics to "Hey Jude." Last time I was with them a few days ago, uh, Landon's been playing Beatle music. She loves the Beatles, and she's a millennial. So it just shows you the music of these guys. My grandson is three years old, and he he can sing the lyrics to "Hey Jude." That that is a span of one, two, at least three, three and a half generations, and the thing still goes on. It would be one hell of a tour. It would be the biggest tour, probably of a decade. And that might be the other reason that it actually happens is because there's so much money to be. There'd made. be an amazing amount of money to be made. Yeah, and plus not an album one of, uh, recorded live. Yeah. Not one of these people needs the money, but no. not one of them would turn it down. No, they've I don't uh, know, both what do Jagger you... and and Paul have always been very conscious of money. 
What do you think, something. Max? Because I have a blind spot. I'm always like, can people just not get along? Can everyone just not have a good time? Life is short. Do you think that they could tour and perform together? I have to believe that they both are secure enough in themselves that they can let each other share the spotlight. I really do. By the way, we're listening to isolated Paul McCartney bass lines being played. And, you know, he's one of the great bass players in rock history. He really is a great bass player. Um, well, I mean, who knows? There would be a movie, obviously. There'd be a lot of different ways that they can monetize it. And people would love it. I mean, they'd go out of their minds to see it. What would they call it? Um, they, they can't call it the Rolling Beatles. It's just uh, people would, would hate it. They would just absolutely hate that. And I don't think that Ringo and uh, Paul would allow it. Uh, I think the Beatles were the Beatles. You'd have to come up with like the Traveling Wilburys, some sort of name like that that's pulled out of the uh, and out, out of the blue. I think you could call it the Ultimate Tour, and people would buy tickets for it. Just call it that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Oh, people will buy tickets to it without it. Nobody doubt. here needs a last name or any introduction. It's Mick, Keith, Paul, and Ringo. Yeah, it's the ultimate right. tour. It's the ultimate tour. Yeah, you're right. See, it's Bob and Sherry. You read it once. I don't believe that. And then you read it again. I can't believe this. It's Bob and Sherry's. I believe this. Shit. I cannot believe this. I've been known to be hard on the pervert community, you know, and and some of y'all are just minding your own perverse business and and not hurting anyone, and it's all consenting adults dressing up as carnival goldfish and whatever it is, right? And and I have to say that there's no limit to the creativity in that world. Today, it's true crime time, and I have the story of Hirohito Shibuya. He is a self-professed fortune teller and hypnotist. He's 74 years old. He lives with an entire harem of his ex-wives. And that's not why he's in true crime time today. Because, um, listen up, harem? my dudes. A harem. Listen up, my dudes. If you can persuade your ex-wives to live together with you as your harem, nothing to me, right? What you eat don't make me fat. Um, but here's why Hirohito Shibuya, fortune teller, hypnotist, and pervert, is in true crime time today. He has been arrested and charged with attempting to brainwash a young female child by showing her pictures of aliens. And one of his harem members, ex-wife Shiaki, who's 43 to his 74, helped him with this. At first, they were well, they were arrested on suspicion of attempting to commit a constructive forcible assault, meaning the victim is either unconscious or in no state to resist. That's a law in Japan. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so here's, here's, here's what went down. So the incident leading to this arrest all took place on December 12th of last year, 2022, at Shibuya's home. He lives um, there with Shiaki and eight more of his ex-wives and three of their children. He has a harem of nine exes. Police say that Shiaki, one of the harem ladies, lured the child to their home under the guise of introducing her to a real-life fortune teller. But instead, when when she got there... Shiaki and Shibuya showed the child images of aliens over the course of several hours and told her that the aliens wanted her to enter into a relationship with them. And if she did not agree, she would be abducted. abducted. The girl believed the couple 
and told them, I'm coming back. I will be back to join this harem. But the kid did another thing. She told her friends and family that she would be leaving home because the aliens wanted her to live with Hirohito Shibuya. Mm. Um, and that is when fam- family and friends were like, yeah, no. And they called no. the police. And the police came and arrested him and um, and have charged him. And now he and the one ex-wife are in jail and the rest of the harem is being investigated. So he has a long criminal track record with law enforcement in Japan. Um, he told one interview, or he, this is not his first rodeo with getting in trouble with the law, although this is the first time it's with an underage girl. He said, I had a dream, and in that dream, I became aware that I would become popular with women if I made certain incantations. Women began to gather at my home when I was fortune-telling, and now I live with women in a polygamous commune. And the, the women uh, range in age from 20 to 49 in his harem, and he's apparently not really a fortune-teller, if you can even say that you can really be a fortune-teller. He's not even like really like a half-baked somewhat legitimate fortune teller. It's just a lie that he uses. So I thought about this for a while. I thought about him saying that he had a dream. And in his dream, he knew that if he told women he was a fortune teller, that they would come and live with him. I would not, that would not work on me. And I believe, you know, I believe in all kinds of stuff. If a man says to me, I'm a fortune teller, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, okay, whatever. That man would have to say to me, I'm a trained chef. And I have a borderline obsession with folding laundry for me to even consider moving into his polygamous harem <laughs> commune. I have a dream. I have a dream too. You know what my dream is? My dream is to produce a TV show all about him because I would become a billionaire. A Women billionaire. would hate <clears throat> You know what they do? They would hate watch him every single week. They would hate watch wow. him. If this story with the aliens sounds a little bit familiar... It's because there was a Netflix documentary that came out a couple of years ago called Abducted in Plain Sight. And it told the story of a 12-year-old girl named Jan Berktold and her family and how a, um, a trusted and beloved family friend abducted Jan and had her convinced that the aliens had singled her out to have a child with him to save their planet. Mm. He had an affair with her mother. He had an encounter, a sexual encounter with her father. It was, when it aired on Netflix, one of the craziest things I'd ever seen. And it all took place in Pocatello, Idaho, um, not too far from where I lived as a kid out west. So after I watched Abducted in Plain Sight back in 2020, I emailed Jan Berktold, who's all grown up today. And I said, I would would love to interview you. Um, I grew up not too far from where you grew up. My mom is LDS. I'm a social worker, like your mom became a social worker, and I would be very respectful, and, and I, I feel like, you know, we have a lot in common. And I never heard a word until last week when she really? DM'd me on Twitter and said, I would love to do an interview with you. So, Fantastic. Yeah. So I've reached out to her. I'm going to see what we can set up. But yes, the old aliens want you to be my lady. Shibuya, not the first pervert. 
to roll that one out. Sherry, uh, um, because I know someone will email you, her last name is Broberg. I'm sorry, Broberg. Berktold was the offender. You're right. I'm so sorry, Max. You're right. Thank you. Jan Broberg. And her, she and her mom co-wrote a book, which is at, which I've read. It's absolutely fascinating. Berktold was the offender who abducted her not once, but twice. And um, he's dead now. He's gone. So we didn't. We don't even really get. He committed suicide. We don't even really get much justice for that family with him. Yeah, it's an incredible story. We'll post this up um, on the Bob and Cherry Facebook. And very folks, good. You get the get the interview, and uh, you can put it in uh, a podcast. That sounds great. I, I would love it, folks. I'm just going to say, if the aliens are talking to you, that's one thing. But if some dude is talking to you about the aliens, go ahead and plant the pervert flag on that because that seems to be what it always is it's bob and sherry bob and sherry books swag and the mother of all mothers merch just hit shop at bobandsherry.com somebody sent me a shot of a restaurant's menu and this restaurant i don't know the name of it they just showed some of the food it, it everything possible is on this menu there's mexican food there's uh, american cheeseburgers they even have sushi but down in the corner is what really got my attention you know how in some menus they'll have like a little name for one of the entrees like uh red's uh steak or um tommy's cheeseburger you know there's there's some sort of a name that they have well this restaurant has named the kids meals and here we go you can order the I don't care. That's chicken tenders, fries for $8. You can <laughs> order the whatever. That's a cheeseburger, slider, and fries. You can also order the heavy size slash eye roll. That's a cheese pizza flatbread. Or you might be tempted to get your kid the I'm not hungry, which is the mac and cheese and fruit cup. And then finally, there's the can we go four chicken wings and barbecue ranch and fries. It's perfect. I think if you could get a pill and give to a uh, person between the ages of 12 and 19, and it stopped them from being moody, I think it would be the third most popular pill ever created, right behind the weight loss pill that's out now and ED medications. If you had a non-cranky pill for kids, Parents would love it. I want to do this at my house so that when I say to my husband, what do you feel like having for dinner? If he replies, I don't live to eat, I eat to live. Sounds like eggplant to me. Kat, there you go. What, there Kat, you what do you go. feel like having what do you feel like having for dinner? I'm fine with a bologna sandwich. Great. Sounds like Indian food to me. So I would <laughs> love to do this. Again, the kids' meals, I don't care, whatever, heavy size slash eye roll, I'm not hungry, and can we go? There you go. It's Bob and Sherry. Now, let's open up the Bob and Sherry Archive Vault. Hi, Charlene. <laughs> Although I I can't really picture. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I never have in my whole life. Well, based on how precocious you were, I almost believe you. Charlene, Charlene hi. how are you? Doing fine. You doing all right? Oh, just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> just fine. Give me a moment to collect my thoughts here, Charlene. Uh, my partner just uh, said something to me that I think was good. It was. I have Aren't very- you glad you gave up smoking <laughs> based on all 
because you You're can't. How many disgusting habits? How many disgusting? That's right. Was how many disgusting habits can a man have? It's good that you gave up. That was the worst one, and you gave up the worst one. That was a sacrifice. Yeah. Well, Charlene, now it's over to you. You've been married five times. Yeah. Where did you meet? Good for you. Where did you meet these five husbands? Okay, the first four was met in a bar. Okay. Okay, and I I didn't like them after they sobered up. They were they were really obnoxious, and it didn't work. The last husband I've got, I met him at a sale barn, and we're still married today. You, you met, met him, him where? where? A sale barn. A, a sale barn? Auction barn, rather. Uh, oh, an oh, auction, an auction barn. barn. I okay. have been to a sale barn. Yeah. Okay. How much you get? For, how much you pay for him? Um, <laughs> I can't tell you that. <laughs> uh, it was late in the evening. He was part of a box lot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look what I got—a safe and a husband. <laughs> So mismatched China. It was a, it was a good deal. Charlene, you were okay with the first four as long as they, you know, were were drinking a lot because they were a lot of fun. But as soon as they sobered up, they became kind of a downer, or what? Oh, uh, they just didn't act right. They the one that they were better drunk than they were sober. Wow. What does that say about a man? Nothing good. No, sir. Mm. So they were kind of just mean when they were when they were straight. Huh? How long did those marriages last, on average? Oh, the first one lasted about three years. The second one lasted six months. The third one lasted a year and a half, and the fourth one lasted about seven years. Okay, and how about um how about the one you bought at the sale barn? How long's that been going strong? I've had him for fifteen years. See, right, very good. So when you heard these these uh, statistics about meeting in bars, you didn't have any argument with that at all, did you? No, it's true. I do believe it's true. Hey, hey, Charlene, let's let's go as fast as you can. Name the five husbands and their birth dates. I can name them, but their birthdays, I can't tell you. Okay, name them and... Oh, I've got an idea. I've got an Name them and tell us real quickly the best thing about each one. Okay, Rick, the best thing about him, he had a really good personality. Okay, that's number one. Bonnie. Who? What was his name? Arnie. There nothing good about Donnie. There was nothing good Donnie. about Donnie. Donnie. Nothing good about Donnie? Nothing good about Donnie. That sounds Donnie. like the title of a country music song. There's nothing, nothing good, good about, about Donnie. Donnie. The or, Dixie or Chicks. Or a movie. Yeah. Or a movie. There's nothing good about Donnie. Okay. All right. Number, number three. Donnie was really sweet. He was really kind and really thoughtful. So okay. When he sobered up, he got mean. Okay. All right. All right. Number three. That was Donnie. Take your, yeah, t- no. take your turn. Number number four. No, number three. We didn't get number <laughs> Who's three. Who's number three? Number three was Sonny. Sonny. Oh, Sonny. Oh, so you had Rick, Donnie, and Sonny. Sonny was really sweet, was sweet and kind. Yes, yeah, unless was sweet. he was sober, and I, there was nothing good about Donnie. These right. do sound like the names of guys you'd meet in a bar. They do. Though. Okay, so number four. Number four was Mitch. 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 What was and good about Mitch? Mitch? It didn't last long, but you know. He had a good personality, and you know, and when he sobered up, you know, it was like he was mad at the world itself. Who is okay. the best lover? Who is the best lover? The one I have. The, the one, one you have now. What's the and the fifth husband's name? What is his name? Larry. 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 Yeah. So Rick, Donnie, Sonny, Mitch, and Larry. <laughs> it's <sounds like laughs> the five stooges. I love it. I love it. Nothing good about Donnie. And Larry's the uh, best lover. You're the best, Charlene. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, hon. Love you, 
love y'all show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I laughed from the time oh. I listened to it till, till I stopped. You're well, awesome. You're thank you, Charlene. Thank you, Charlene. Sign up for our newsletter. We never spam you. Never did. Get Bob and Sherry exclusives. Just go to bobandsherry.com. The news about Bruce Willis has, um, it's just thrown me for a loop. Um, he had aphasia. And now, of course, you've probably seen this in your newsfeed. He has been diagnosed with something called frontotemporal dementia, FTD, which is, it's dementia. It's not Alzheimer's. It's its own sort of thing. And it can, there's no treatment for it. There's no coming back from it. And it can hit people when they're really, really young. Um, My best friend was really young when her personality started changing and she would forget things like how to get home from work and we lost her. So, and I had never heard of FTD other than the flower delivery, right? I had never heard of FTD until my friend was diagnosed and and I couldn't make any sense of it. Like she's so young, like how is this even happening? And then to see that Bruce Willis has it too, And one thing I remember reading was more people have it. It's just hard to diagnose because you can only really get an actual diagnosis, I guess, um, after the person has passed. And it's, it's horrific. And for Bruce Willis, like he's about to become a grandfather for the first time. His daughter rumor is pregnant that uh, one of the girls he had with um, Demi Moore. And Bruce Willis, when he exploded onto the scene with the TV show Moonlight, like he was kind of known for being like a snappy, fast talking, super smart, firing on all cylinders guy. And then he became, you know, an action hero. And as his movie career went on, he increasingly played parts where it was all about the action and not so much about the dialogue. And now, of course, we know why that is. He was struggling with scripts and remembering his lines and he was also struggling to articulate with words so I was I was cruising around on YouTube looking at um, outtakes from Moonlighting and um, Armageddon and Pulp Fiction and all of these Bruce Willis movies because I've always been just such a fan and I came upon this interview that Bruce Willis did when the Die Hard the first Die Hard movie first came out listen to this at the theater last night, uh, the reaction of the audience was was just incredible. People were cheering, yelling, stomping their feet. Uh, Good. How, how, does that, how does that make you feel? It's amazing. I, I've never experienced that kind of reaction to my work. And uh, being a part of this film is like being a part of a championship ball club. Um, it's very rewarding. Um, we wanted to make a film about ordinary people, about... Uh, people you can you know, uh, you know relate to. Um, it's not about a superhero. It's not about a, a guy who's invincible. It's about a guy who is uh, just the opposite of that. I think a guy who's very uh, vulnerable. And uh, I think people really respond to that. There are a lot of payoffs um, in you know the film for the audience. I think. And uh, I think Die Hard really satisfies the. Um, sense of justice for uh, you know know, for the average guy every film that I do is a learning experience for me I think that Die Hard is um, the character that I uh, uh, that I play in this film is 
closer to me than anything that I've ever done. Um, I think John McClain is is the kind of guy who'd rather stand in the back of the crowd than you know kind of shove his way to the front. Um, he has a lot of uh, quiet dignity, and uh, I think it kind of comes through. You know, I've gotten a really good you know response to. Uh, you know, um, after I watched that and listened to that, I thought about it. And Die Hard has become a Christmas movie of all things, right? And a, and a classic thing that people look forward to watching. And I think the secret of it is not just that it's all these great actors, Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber and, you know, Bruce Willis and these incredible action scenes. I watched that interview and I thought, oh, that's the secret sauce is that he didn't approach this like John McClane is an invincible badass. He approached it as, here's a guy that um, is not asking to be put into this position. But if he's there, he's going to do his best. Does that make sense? And he related to that. He related to that about his own life. Yeah. And it it makes you realize, like, sometimes, you know, we wonder, like, why why did this movie um, become this beloved favorite right and not that movie you know what is it about certain performances that get inside you and won't leave and and I know people I know guys Die Hard is their movie like that is it Die Hard is their movie and I think that what they're responding to isn't just you know he's strong he's brave you know he's not going to take any BS I think what they're responding to is that he's basically a decent good guy put into a, a really difficult situation you know, if you think about, here's the Pulp Fiction music. If you think about the character Butchie that he plays in Pulp Fiction. Yep, same thing. A really decent good guy who's fallen in with the wrong crowd and he's in way over his head. And he's going to have to be capable of some things that none of us can imagine being capable of if he's going to survive it. You don't like to see anybody famous or anonymous suffer and I can tell you from firsthand experience the FTD is hell on the people who love him it's hell because they're losing they're losing their dad just bit by bit minute by minute and it's the longest goodbye you can possibly imagine having to make and it's just so unfair it's just so too soon it's Bob and Sherry did you know that the longest movie that's ever been made would take you 35 days and 17 hours to watch are you familiar with this movie let me say it again 35 days and 17 hours but if you got if you went to one of those theaters where you (laughs) bought the big tub and it was all you could eat they're not not making money there the movie came out in 2012 it's called logistics and it follows the life cycle of a pedometer in case you were afraid it would be boring okay so the the movie opens up at a yes the movie opens up at a store in stockholm sweden where the pedometer gets sold and then it moves backward in time You go on a truck, a train, a container ship. You find yourself in a factory in China. 
Everything is in real time. Meaning, the amount of time you spend on the container ship is the amount of time it took the pedometer to get from point A to point B on the container ship. And the same for the freight train and the factory and all of it. 35 days, 17 hours. It's more than a month of your your life. Now, they have they have cut it down to a 72-minute version. If you're saying to me, Sherry, there's nothing I'd enjoy more. Um, it's the gateway to the weekend today. There's nothing I'd enjoy more than watching a movie about a pedometer. Do you have anything shorter than 35 days and 17 hours? Yes, you can watch a 72-minute cut of the show. Or you can go to the logistics website. And we can post a link to that if you think if you want to. Um, you can go to there and you can watch short two-minute clips. So you can watch like a little clip about the container ship and then you can watch a little clip about the pedometer getting made. You know, whatever you need to get through the day. But it is the longest movie ever in the history of movies. Here are some movies that get kind of closer that you'll have heard of. Um, Hamlet, the Kenneth Branagh version of Hamlet right. that came out in the 90s, that's 242 minutes. That's nothing compared to 35 days and 17 <sighs> hours. Um, Cleopatra that came out in the 60s, 248 um, <sighs> minutes. Logistics is 857 hours. How in the world? One film critic watched the entire thing and reviewed it. So somebody did fall on that particular sword. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. So I guess there's some artistic statement with this movie, and that's the reason that it's been made. I, I mean, maybe that's the reason that they did it. But even some of these other movies, I can remember watching, and I think it was on HBO years ago, there's a movie called Papillon, which is about a guy who went to a French prison on an island and then escaped. And I remember it had an intermission in the middle of it because, you know, it's HBO. There's no commercials. Um, but it did have an intermission at the beginning because nobody could sit there and not go to the bathroom for that long. There's a movie. Um, that, what is it called? Jean Dielman. I When I was in college, um, this movie is the longest. I thought it was the longest movie ever made. And I went to a theater in Philly and I watched it. And I think it was like eight hours long or something. And it follows this um, housewife. I, I don't want to spoil anything. I want to give the plot away. <laughs> oh. In real time. In real time. And um, this movie was recently named one of the best movies that's ever been made. And an old friend of mine from college that I haven't talked to in forever DM'd me on Instagram and said, did you see this, the news about that movie? You're the only person I know that sat through it, <laughs> other than the people that made it. It was, it was interesting. I, I, I don't know how I did it because now, like, I fall asleep if I try to watch a single episode of, you know, Unsolved Mysteries. But I did. I sat in a movie theater for an entire day watching this woman rinse out a teacup. And other things happen in the movie. Like, a lot of other things happen. But all of it is... There's no attempt made whatsoever to glamorize any of it. Um, she actually works. Um, she makes a little money on the side as a sex worker. And in case you think, oh, well, that's sort of risque. 
No, it isn't. By the time you've watched a few hours of teacups getting rinsed and tablecloths getting smoothed, by the time the doorbell rings and Sir shows up with his money, it is the equivalent of watching teacups getting rinsed and tablecloths getting smoothed. It is deadly. And yet, it's hypnotic. Like you reach a point where you go, I'm not, I, there's no way I'm going to survive this. And then you're so, you've spent enough time. All right, I'm going to give it a little bit. And then you re, then you go, all right, I've, there's no way I'm walking out now. I'm going to see this whole movie. Was there an intermission? I, what did you eat? Um, I, I guess the bottomless popcorn, I guess you could do that, but. There were several intermissions because not that like you were afraid to go to the restroom for fear you might miss a teacup getting rinsed. But <laughs> Seriously. But there were, there were some intermissions that were baked in and I was not the only person in the theater. Like there were other people that said, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this French housewife. And, oh, and that's the other thing I left off. It's in French with subtitles. Oh, wow. Well, that doesn't bother me though, because. You, know. you Hey, but at the end of eight hours, you were fluent in things like teacup rinsing and tablecloth smoothing and long, long, sad looks out of windows and cigarettes being lit. A cigarette being lit and smoked in real time is surprisingly hypnotic to watch. It was actually more interesting than Sir showing up for an afternoon tumble. That was like one of the least interesting things in the movie. Yeah. Because I really remember the teacups and the cigarettes more than I remember him. Anyway, logistics, 35 days, 17 (laughs) hours. I can't wait. The weekend's almost here, everybody. It's Bob and Sherry. It's the stuff we wouldn't, couldn't, shouldn't do on the regular show. The Oddcast. Oddcast on the free Bob and Sherry app. So Chris Martin, the frontman for Coldplay, said something really interesting a couple of months ago. He said that Coldplay will stop recording new music in 2025, but they hope to keep touring just like the Rolling Stones. He said, wouldn't it be great if we were touring into our 70s like the Stones did? But that for all intents and purposes, there will be no new Coldplay music after 2025. And that between today and 2025, they're going to release three new albums, including one that's a musical. So I'm a big Coldplay fan. People love to hate on Coldplay, but hello. I mean, whatever. Anyway, um... Max found this little snippet of Chris Martin at 21 years old with braces on his teeth. Yeah. Manifesting the band's future success. And this is what he had to say. John Buckland, Chris Martin, world champion Guy Berryman, Acker the Coldplay are going to go on to be such a huge band. This will be on national television within four years. Four years. It's now the 26th of June, 1998. By the 26th of June, 2002, the Coldplay or the band, whatever they're called then, will be known just all over, man. We're going to be so big. So he... He then, he then jumps up in the air like a kid, you know, and um, he was absolutely right. He spoke it into being. I, I mean, I, I always like your description of his singing voice. He sounds like an angel with a head cold. He really does. And he's so gifted as a musician. Piano, guitar. I mean, he's he, a lyricist. He's incredibly gifted. I think people love to hate on Coldplay because they had huge mainstream success, right? So they're not super cool. 
And then, you know, he was married to Gwyneth Paltrow. And, <laughs> right? And, and so people love to hate on Gwynny and Goop. And I think Chris Martin got caught in those crosshairs. But what do you think about it? What do you think the odds are that Coldplay turns into a Stones-level touring band? Yeah, I think that probably the blueprint has been set by the Rolling Stones that it's possible that people are still going to want to go out and see something. And for a lot of people, they don't want they don't want new music. They don't want to go out and discover a new band. They want to go and relive their youth, go and feel yeah. that sense of nostalgia that goes with seeing a live act that you've known your whole life. And I, I will say I've been to a couple Coldplay shows. You get your money's worth, you know, whether you think they're dweeby or not. It's Bob and Sherry. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Bob and Sherry podcast and the Bob and Sherry Oddcast. We would love if you would subscribe, rate and review, and share it with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you go. And thank you again for listening.